Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Such a Fun Read, a podcast where we come together to read a book and chat about it like a book club. I am your resident reader, Cherie Lampley, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. Wow, we've made it to episode two. Very excited about that. I will say that excited and fun are words you may hear a lot in these episodes. I mean, fun is in the title, so just a heads up on that. But I am excited to talk about the book that we're going to talk about in this episode. But before we get into that, though, I did want to say a few things. First, I want to thank everyone who listened to the first episode. I really appreciate you doing so as well as you coming back this week. If you didn't listen to the first episode, do not worry. I appreciate you being here now. Also, this is not a podcast that you have to listen to each episode in order. If you wanted to, that would be awesome. You can also jump around. Well, when I get more episodes, that is. This is just week two. I will say that last week I did do some introductions on myself and the podcast. Just something for episode one. You can go and listen to that if you'd like. The short version, as I said, my name is Cherie Lampley, and I am your resident reader around here. We read a book each week and chat about it, like a book club. A spoiler-filled chat, that is. I'd also appreciate it if you left a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much in advance. Next thing, did any of you watch the Summer Turn Pretty TV show? That was the first book for the first Such a Fun Read episode, if you aren't aware. I didn't realize all of those episodes would be out all at once. I thought they were going to do them weekly. Well, I started watching them Friday night and stayed up late to finish. That was my Friday evening. When I say I'm a homebody, I definitely mean it. I thought it was cute. I know there were some changes made from the book, but everything seemed to work well. Maybe I'm a bit more mellow now when it comes to adaptations, especially with something I've read so quickly to when the adaptation gets released. I remember seeing Divergent just a few days after I finished reading it. I was nitpicking while watching. Saw it again a few months later and I was more relaxed. So I was a bit proud of myself for not picking at the TV show while watching it. Is that something you guys do? Do you watch an adaptation from a book you've read and immediately think, well, that's not what happened in the book when they make a change? Let me know. Oh, and I will say, I did like a certain character more in the TV show than I did in the book. Maybe I'll do a bonus episode at some point on the TV show. If you guys want that, that is, let me know. I will need to do some rewatching though, if that's the case, since I stayed up late watching it for the first time. Okay, that's enough housekeeping. Let's get into this week's book. The book for this episode is A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. It was published in hardcover on February 4th, 2020. It is a young adult mystery, and one of the biggest mysteries for me while reading this book was why was this book set in Connecticut? The author is from London. Why wasn't it set there? In doing some research after reading it, I found that the U.S. version is set in Fairview, Connecticut, and the U.K. global version is set in Little Kilton, Buckinghamshire. That version was also released in 2019. I'm curious if there were any other changes between the different versions outside of the location. I guess the publishers thought it would be better to change the location for the U.S. version, but Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, it happens, I guess. So why did I choose this book? So last week, I mentioned that I like reading cute fun reads during the summertime. I also mentioned a lot of different genres I like to pick up. 
and a good old-fashioned mystery is a perfect read for the summer. They can be fast-paced and definitely keep you on your toes guessing what is going to happen next. So this book brought me back to when I used to listen to the first season of the Serial Podcast. I remember being obsessed with that podcast. Not as obsessed as apparently a few people were on Reddit, but I was obsessed enough to make sure I listened each week. Appointment listening it was. I told a lot of my friends, you have to listen to this. You have to listen to this. I think that was around the time I actually wanted to start a podcast. Eight years later, I finally listened to myself and did it. I'm also a huge fan of Veronica Mars. And reading this brought me back to the first season of that show where Veronica was trying to figure out who killed her best friend, Lily. Highly recommend that show if you haven't watched it. I had a lot of fun reading this book and I'm really glad I picked it up. I want to know your thoughts on this book as well. Let me know on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. The handle is such a fun read. You can also email me at hello at such a fun But right now, let's just get into it. Everyone in Fairview knows the story. Pretty and popular high school senior Annie Bell was murdered by her boyfriend, Sal Singh, who then killed himself. It was all anyone could talk about. And five years later, Pip sees how the tragedy still haunts her town. But she can't shake the feeling that there was more to the story. She knew Sal when she was a child and he was always so kind to her. How could he possibly have been a killer? Now a senior herself, Pip decides to re-examine the closed case for her final project, at first just to cast doubt on the original investigation, and the line between past and present begins to blur. Someone in Fairview doesn't want Pip digging around for answers, and now her own life might be in danger. This is a story of an investigation turned obsession, full of twists and turns with an ending you'll never expect. That is the summary on the book jacket of my copy of the book, and now let's talk about it. And as I mentioned before, there will be spoilers. So let's start with a list of the characters. That might be the easiest place to start. I want to word vomit everything and just talk about everything. I don't think I'm going to do a ranking like I did in the last episode with all of these characters. Some of these characters didn't have enough page time to receive a ranking. We'll see. So we have our main character, Pippa Fitz Amobi. Also goes by Pip. Most of the time, I'm probably going to end up calling her Pip throughout this podcast. Her parents, Victor and Leanne, her brother, Josh, her dog, Barney, her best friend, Cara Ward, Cara's sister, Naomi, who was also best friends with Sal, Cara's father, Elliot, or Mr. Ward, Pip's other best friend, Lauren, Pip's other friends, Aunt, Zach, and Connor, the victim, Andy Bell, Andy's parents, Jason and Don, Andy's sister, Becca, Andy's best friends, Chloe Birch and Emma Hutton, the accused, Sal Singh, Sal's brother, Ravi, Sal's friend, Max Hastings, Sal's other friends, Jake Lawrence and Millie Simpson, Sal's parents, Mohan and Nisha, Mrs. Morgan, one of Pip's teachers, reporter Stanley Forbes, Nat DeSilva, a classmate of Sal and Andy, Nat's brother slash police officer Daniel De Silva and local drug dealer Howie Bowers. I hope I'm not missing anyone. That does seem like a lot of people, enough characters. So throughout this story, Pip is trying to figure out what really happened to Andy Bell. She doesn't believe that Sal did it and is trying to find out who did. 
Why is this so important to her? She knew Sal. She would spend time over at the wards with Kara being her best friend. And with Sal being best friends with Naomi, she would see him often. And in her words, he had been a hero to her and she just couldn't believe he did it. Throughout the story, you see that Pip is becoming obsessed with finding out what happened. She doesn't have time to spend with her friends. Her parents are fighting over how much time she's spending on this project. She starts to do things she normally wouldn't do, like breaking and entering. We'll get to that later. So Pip's senior capstone project was how she was able to do her investigation into this case. She didn't start off by saying she was going to prove Sal's innocence. The topic was to be a report on how print, televised, and social media had become key players in police investigations using Andy Bell as a case study, and the implications of how the press presented Sal Singh and his alleged guilt. Her project was accepted on the condition that no ethical lines would be crossed. She needed to find a more focused angle and no contact would be made with the families involved. With that last one, how was she not disqualified so early? The first chapter has Pip go to speak with Robbie, Sal's brother, And she interviews him soon after and enters the transcript in her capstone project log. The teacher must have been rather lenient when it came to her actually speaking with the families. Mrs. Morgan, Pip's teacher, did say, I'm concerned about the direction of your project, but that was about it. Okay, so let's break down what is believed to have happened to Andy Bell. Andy Bell was last seen Friday evening, April 18th, 2014. She was last seen alive by her younger sister, Becca, at 10.30 p.m. She left home with her cell phone, but did not take any clothes with her. She was seen by a security camera outside the bank on Fairview's Main Street, driving away from her home at about 10.40 p.m. She was supposed to pick up her parents from a dinner party at 12.45 a.m. After her parents didn't see Andy, they contacted her friends looking for her. Andy's father, Jason Bell, called the police at 3 a.m. Saturday morning. Police spoke with Sal Singh sometime on Saturday, April 19th. Sal was with his friends, Max Hastings, Naomi Ward, Jake Lawrence, and Millie Simpson. Missing posters went up on Sunday, April 20th, along with house-to-house inquiries. On Monday, April 21st, a hundred volunteers helped the police carry searches in a local woodlawn. Later that day, forensic teams were spotted going into the Bell residence. On Tuesday, April 21st, mid-morning, Max, Naomi, Jake, and Millie confessed to police that they provided false information. They then said that Sal had asked them to lie and that he actually left Max's home around 10.30 p.m. on Friday. Sal was now missing. Tuesday evening, Sal was found in the woods while police were searching for Andy Bell. He had committed suicide. He also had sent his father what they believed to be a confession text earlier that day. He was implicated in the murder because Andy's phone was on his body, Andy's blood was under his fingernails, Andy's blood was discovered in the trunk of her abandoned car, and Sal's fingerprints were around the dashboard and steering wheel, along with Andy's and the rest of the Bell family. The Andy Bell case was administratively closed in the middle of June 2014, and 18 months later, Andy Bell was declared dead. Her body was never found. So my observation on this information, Sal seemed to be the main suspect especially with no longer having an alibi. My first thought was wondering why his friends flipped on him so quickly. 
I'm not saying to get in trouble for your friends. It just seems suspect that they decided to flip on him when they did. Per them, Sal had asked them to lie for him. I've never been in a situation like this, so I couldn't say what I would do. Let's get back to Pip and her investigation. One of the first interviews she did was with Stanley Forbes, a journalist at the Fairview Mail. He was convinced that Sal did it and he covered the Andy Bell case in the local paper. Not even close to a favorite character of mine, since he thought Sal did it because it's always the boyfriend. Oh, and Sal is Indian. So yeah, he was a bit racist. He also mentioned that there was a death threat note left in Andy's locker. He got the information from his source with the police. I'll get back to Stanley later. I have a few questions about him. So Pip then interviews Ravi, Sal's brother. And he said, Sal did not act strange before leaving for Max's. He left home around 7 and Robbie was already in bed whenever Sal returned home. Sal was in a really good mood the next morning, at least until he got a phone call from one of Andy's friends and he found out about Andy. After Sal found out, he sat by his phone and called her over and over again. I liked Robbie throughout this story. He was a big part of the investigation wanting to prove his brother's innocence and he nicknamed Pip Sarge. I like that nickname. So Pip decided to make a person of interest list. If Sal didn't do this, someone did. The first person on her list was Jason Bell, Andy's father. Her reasoning, Pip watched hours of YouTube footage on the early press conference when Andy went missing. She thought Jason was a bit off. His body language was squeezing his wife's arm when she would cry and how he used his shoulder to push his wife back from the microphone when she said enough. How Becca shrinks from his gaze and how he talked about Andy in the past tense. This was before Sal's alibi went away. Ravi had also mentioned how Sal thought Andy had run away to punish someone and that her relationship with her father was strained. The next person on Pip's list was Naomi Ward. She had spoken with her as well as Max Hastings. Naomi said that while they were at Max's on that Friday night, Sal spoke to her about Andy, how they were fighting and he wasn't going to talk to her for a bit. She said he got up around 1030 and left. She and the others had stayed at Max's that night. She also mentioned how Sal asked them to lie for him when they went to see him on Saturday. Pip asked if he had told her where he was and Naomi said she couldn't remember. And she couldn't remember if they had even asked. When Pip spoke with Max, he said that Sal didn't talk about Andy that night at his house. And Naomi was missing for a while after Sal left. He also didn't notice Sal leave. He also said that he wasn't really friends with Andy and they only spoke every once in a while. So Pip asked them both if they thought Sal did it. Naomi said, not the Sal I knew. And Max pretty much said with all the evidence, he must have. A reason that Pip added Naomi to the list was because of what Ravi mentioned. He said that Naomi might have been in love with Sal and also Naomi being MIA at Max's house that Friday night. She was also a bit awkward during the interview. I thought her interview was awkward too. I felt like she was hiding something. The whole, I don't remember if he told me where he was and all, didn't sit well with me. And I couldn't believe that Pip didn't ask Max if Sal told him where he was when he apparently asked them to lie. Again, I've never been in this situation, so maybe this isn't something friends would want to know, just in case. Or maybe they just assumed he killed her and didn't have to say. The next interview was with Elliot Ward, Naomi and Cara's father. I'll probably refer to him as Mr. Ward throughout this episode. She calls him that a lot, especially with him being a teacher. 
He was Sal's teacher, and he also knew Sal well from Naomi's friendship with him. From this interview, we learn Sal wanted to go to Yale to study history. He helped him with his essay, and Sal got accepted there as well. Mr. Ward called in sick on that Tuesday, so he wasn't at school. And Mr. Ward didn't know Andy that well since she only had a class with him her sophomore year. At this point, Pip had four working theories, and she tells these theories to Robbie. Theory one, a third party killed Andy, but Sal was involved somehow, like an accessory after the fact by helping to bury the body and his guilt would have led him to commit suicide. Theory two, a third party killed Andy and Sal had no involvement. The evidence found on Sal have an innocent explanation to them and are unrelated to her murder. Theory three, a third party killed Andy and pinned the murder on Sal. The killer also kills Sal and makes it look like a suicide. Theory four, Andy is alive since a body was never found. She faked her disappearance and kills Sal herself, pinning her murder on him as well. I'll say I was leaning more towards theory three and theory four at this point. I didn't really want to believe theory one. I will say Naomi, I there was something about Naomi that I didn't trust. But I didn't want to think that Sal would assist Naomi. Theory two, I think that one doesn't really make any sense to me. I mean, how will Sal get Andy's blood under his fingernails if it's all pure accident? Next up is Sal's phone. Ravi gives it to Pip. We see that Sal had a missed call from Andy that Friday night before nine. At this point, we know from Naomi that Sal was not speaking to Andy because they were fighting. We also see that from 10.30 a.m. on Saturday until 7.21 a.m. on Tuesday, Sal called Andy 112 times. That is a lot of times to pretend to be worried about someone you've supposedly killed. Ravi was told by police that Sal was making a conscious effort to look innocent by doing this. I mean, that seems a bit far-fetched to come to that conclusion without even thinking about it a bit for me, but I'm not a police officer. Sal was found with her phone. So why would he call her so many times if he still had her phone? So after Annie called Sal on Friday, Sal sent her a text. The text read, I'm not talking to you till you've stopped. He also sent her other messages when she was missing. There was something with the text messages that Ravi and Pip noticed. When Sal sent text, he didn't care to use punctuations or capital letters. But when he sent his supposed confession text to his dad, there was punctuation and capital letters. Seems a little fishy. They also found in his notes app on his phone a license plate number 009KKJ. This was written down two days before Andy went missing. We'll put a pen in that. Next, we have Pip interviewing Andy's friends, Emma and Chloe. They were interviewed separately. They seem to have drifted apart after what happened with Andy. So what we learned from them about that night. Emma said she found out about Andy around 1 a.m. and she tried to contact Sal, but he didn't answer until the morning. She was questioned by police on Saturday. We learned that Sal and Andy were arguing at school that week. He was mad about something that seems to corroborate with the text he sent her Friday night. Andy was supposed to stay home that night. She was supposed to watch her sister Becca. Being someone she chose to spend her time with made you special. Andy could be very cruel to her sister Becca. Emma doesn't like the person she was with Andy. Sal and Andy were not intimate. Andy had a lot of money and didn't have a part-time job. 
and Andy liked her secrets. Pip ended up hitting a wall with Chloe, so she thought she would use one of her old pay-as-you-go SIM cards to put in her phone to pretend to be Chloe and Catfish Emma just to get some more information. SIM cards. These become a very important part of the story. I like how this was used so early to put that in the reader's thoughts. So during this catfishing moment, Pip learns that there was a secret older guy that Andy said she could ruin if she wanted to. So secret older guy has now been placed on the person of interest list. While camping with her friends and taking a break from her investigation, Pip ends up receiving a note that is placed in her sleeping bag. This, of course, happens when they believe they saw someone watching them and some of them chase after that person. The note read, stop digging Pippa. At first, she thinks her friends were playing a joke on her and she doesn't take it seriously. Back to the investigation. So Pip ends up having another conversation with Emma and she learns that Andy did not like Mr. Ward and was pissed at him for some reason. This was around spring break, not long before her disappearance. If you remember... Mr. Ward told us that he barely knew Andy. Why would she be so upset with him? So Mr. Ward ends up on the person of interest list, and then Pip goes to Mr. Ward for answers. Then we learn that Andy is bullying another girl. There was an incident with a video that Andy had posted online, a video that would get Andy in trouble with school and the police. Mr. Ward didn't want to get Andy into too much trouble, so he called her father and told him what was going on, hoping the family was sorted out Otherwise, he would have to tell the school and Andy would get expelled. Pip ends up taking Mr. Ward off the person of interest list after this conversation. Right now, our person of interest list includes Jason Bell, Andy's father, Naomi Ward, Sal's best friend, and secret older guy. We just don't have a first and last name for a secret older guy. Pip continues on with the investigation. Again, she has really become obsessed with this investigation. She talks to Naomi again, and we learn some new things. Nat De Silva is the girl that was being bullied by Andy. Naomi was friends with her. Andy ended up starting rumors about Nat. She said that her family was incestuous and that Nat watched people undress in the changing rooms while touching herself. Goodness, Andy. So Andy got the video when she pretended to be a guy that Nat liked, asking her to send a video of her topless with her face in it. Sal knew about all of this, but it's Andy's drama and he didn't want to get involved. Naomi thought Sal was too laid back about some things and you know what? I kind of agree. Andy also blackmailed Nat to get her to drop out of a school play or she would go to the police and say that Nat's brother Daniel statutorily raped her. Nat dropped out because she was scared of what Andy might do. Andy, wow. Wow. I mean, you didn't deserve what happened to you, but wow. So this is when we go to talk to Nat. She's back home. She had gotten herself in trouble while she was away at school. She had been arrested and charged with assault. Ravi ends up coming with Pip. When Nat comes to the door, Pip notices that Nat looks a lot like Andy. Nat ends up telling her about the bullying. She also mentions how she left a death threat note in Andy's locker that week. So that note that Stanley Forbes thought was left by Sal wasn't left by Sal. It was a note from Nat. We also learned that Nat's brother Daniel is a police officer and he had just finished up his training that year. After speaking with Nat and looking up Daniel, they learned that Daniel is the officer that told Ravi to give up when he came to the station to ask questions. Two more people have been added to Pip's person of interest list. Earlier on, 
Pip had requested the transcript of Sal's conversation with the police, she ended up receiving it with some things redacted. In it, Sal is rather evasive about what he and Andy were arguing about that week. But why was he so evasive? What were they arguing about? I'm not talking to you till you've stopped was the text he sent her on that Friday night. Till she stopped what? Seeing the older guy? Does Sal find out about that? Bullying Nat? Naomi said that Sal was too laid back about it. But maybe he was trying to get Andy to stop doing that in his own way. Those were the two things that crossed my mind. Her seeing an older guy might get her in trouble with her parents. And her bullying would get her in even more trouble as well. He seemed to want to protect her. He could also be trying to protect himself by not saying enough. Maybe what they were arguing about would give Sal a real motive as to why he would kill her. That's what Pip wondered. Also a possibility. But we gotta keep going to find out. The next person Pip spoke to is a big one. Becca, Andy's sister. The last person we know that saw Andy alive. And we learned something that put a certain character at the top of my person of interest list. Becca is interning at Fairview Mail, the same place Stanley Forbes works. And guess what? She is dating him. Or kind of seeing him as she says it. So many alarms went off in my head. Stanley is the secret older guy. He killed Andy. And now he's dating her younger sister. Ew, that is so creepy. Pip also noticed how much Becca now looked like Andy. And I just got a lot of single white female vibes from that. Do you guys remember that movie? I have not seen that movie in forever. Anyway, I had talked myself down a bit about Becca. She was Andy's sister after all. They were going to look alike. But the next person Pip did place on the person of interest list was Max Hastings, Sal's friend. Pip ended up speaking with Jess Walker, who was a friend of Becca's while they were in school. So Jess spoke about how Jason, Becca and Andy's father, was really emotionally abusive to his family. How he told Andy that she would always worry about how she looks and she would only be going to college to find a husband. And how he would put one of his daughters down when the other did something good. Becca also started to want to go out like Andy to the calamity parties. I don't think I've mentioned calamity parties yet. Those are like house parties that Max Hastings started, and they'll come up a bit throughout this story. After one of those parties, Becca asked Jess to go with her to get the morning after pill. We also learned that the night Andy disappeared, the alarm had gone off at Jason Bell's business offices during the dinner party. He had been nervous to talk to the police about it because he had driven there to check on it and he was drinking that night. Jess thought Andy was dating someone else, not Sal, because of how close she was to someone at a calamity party. The guy she was close to turned out to be Max Hastings. They looked pretty friendly together. When Pip talked to Max before, he had said he barely knew Andy. But why were they so friendly together at the party? Pip started to wonder if he could be the secret older guy because he had been held back a year. I was still thinking it could be Stanley, but I'll let Pip have her own mind here. Pip learns that Max had a secret Facebook profile, one that he could post anything he wanted. I just want to point out that Pip is pretty bold. She goes to question Max on her own. She does things like this on her own quite a bit throughout this story. So in Max's bedroom, Pip finds a photo of Andy where she's wearing nothing, but black underwear. Max claims he found it in school. Pip doesn't believe him, and can you blame her? That seems very far-fetched. Then we learn that Andy Bell was dealing drugs. She was working with a drug dealer in town and gave him a market he didn't have before. 
That could explain all the money Andy had that her friends mentioned since she didn't have a job. Max claims to not know who the drug dealer was and he pretty much kicks Pip out of his house. She finds out his name is Howie Bowers and he ends up on the person of interest list. So that list now is Jason Bell, Andy's dad, Naomi Ward, Sal's best friend, secret older guy, Nat Da Silva, girl bullied by Andy, Daniel Da Silva, brother of girl bullied by Andy, also police officer that pretty much turned Ravi away when he had questions, Max Hastings, Sal's friend and Andy's potential secret older guy, and Howie Bowers, local drug dealer. Pip goes to the train station. This is where Howie goes to deal, down at the end with no cameras. Again, Pip is alone, and again, I'm wondering why. She ends up hiding in her car so no one can see her. When a supposed Howie shows up, she ends up calling the number she got from the guy at the party, and the guy at the train station answers. Of course, after she hangs up, he calls the number right back. Luckily, she thought to put her phone on silent. Guess who shows up, though? Stanley Forbes. It seems he is being blackmailed by Howie about something. For killing Andy Bell, perhaps? What is it? Stanley, what did you do? After Howie leaves the train station, Pip ends up leaving her car, following him home. Bold Pip. She finds out the street Howie lives on is the same street that Andy's car was found on. She also sees the license plate to the car at Howie's house. It is the license number that Sal wrote down, 009KKJ. She calls Ravi to meet her and then they go to Howie's home. They end up getting into Howie's house and get him to talk because Pip had taken pictures of what she saw at the train station that night. Him dealing to a few kids and all. Also that she would go to the cops about how Andy used to work for him. So they learned that Andy was the one that came to Howie to deal and she had a second phone she got from Howie to use for her said dealings. Andy kept that phone in a loose floorboard in her wardrobe. They also got out of Howie the drugs Andy sold. One of them was Rohypnol. Andy was selling roofies. Before they left, Howie had Pip delete the photos she took. She ended up recovering them anyway after they left just in case. Around this time, someone starts to send Pip text messages telling her to leave this case alone while she still can. So she is getting text messages as well as the message she got in her sleeping bag when she went camping. These messages are from someone that would know where she is as well as know her phone number. She's starting to not think it's her friends playing a joke on her. Next, Pip decides it is time to break into the Bell's home. This is not a joke. Remember when I mentioned breaking and entering? This is something she wouldn't normally do? Well, that is where she has been led to. Her obsession with finding out what really happened is really, really real. Ravi decides to go in with her because that wouldn't look suspicious at all. Also, I mean, probably not the best thing for you to do, Ravi, but whatever. They want to get to that burner phone. It could lead them to the secret older guy and possibly the killer. So they get into Andy's room and the burner phone isn't in the loose board in her wardrobe. They almost get caught as well. Becca is supposed to be at her internship and the mother is supposed to be at work. Becca came home because she forgot something and left without thinking anyone was there. Way too close of a call, Pip. So while they're in Andy's room, they find her old agenda on her desk. Pip ends up taking pictures of some of the pages. Later on, Pip looks at some of the photos she took. Andy ended up writing things in code. TS stood for train station. She most likely wrote down when she went there to meet with Howie. 
IV was written down as well. Pip didn't know what that meant, but she definitely needed to find out. HH was another code where she thought it meant Howie's house. There was also a phone number on one of the pages that was scratched out. Pip tried to figure out whose phone number that was, but couldn't. So Ravi thought IV could mean a couple things. The name of a nightclub or the name of an inn. When Pip did an online search, she noticed something about the inn. The background of the bathroom looked like the background that was in the photo. So Pip and Ravi traveled to the inn and hear this. The woman that owned the place said, after seeing a picture of Andy that Pip showed her, that Andy was just here. She was just here a few weeks ago. My thoughts went to Andy is either still alive and she still frequents this place or Becca was there with probably creepy Stanley. Pip learns that the woman had Alzheimer's and she may confuse a few weeks ago with a few years ago. I don't buy it. It was either Andy or Becca. When they returned to town at the train station, they saw Howie. He was there speaking to someone and that someone turned out to be Max. It seems Max just has more lies. He ends up becoming number one on Pip's person of interest list. Pip starts to wonder about the Rohypnol and the calamity parties that Max threw. She did some investigation and learned a few girls felt like their drinks might have been spiked. Also, Nat De Silva was one of those girls. Then there was a girl that was not named who got roofied. This was a few months before Andy went missing. The girl didn't remember being at the party and she went to the police to report the incident, but nothing ever came about it. So with Max being suspect number one, Pip enlisted Cara to get Naomi's password to her Facebook. Naomi is in fact friends with Max's secret Facebook profile. When Pip goes on there, she sees a bunch of pictures from the night that Andy disappeared. There is one picture that was taken that had Naomi, Max, Millie, and Jake in it. Naomi was looking away from the camera, looking down at her phone, and you could see the time on her phone's lock screen. It said 12.09. There were only supposed to be four people in Max's basement at 12.09 a.m., so who was taking the picture? That person was none other than Sal. His friends had taken away his alibi. And then we get an I know what you did last summer moment. Naomi and Max come clean the pit. Sal's friends had gone out to a party and Max was driving. He claimed to not be drunk and was okay to drive them home. On their way, he ended up hitting a man. They left them there. The guy is now paraplegic and in a wheelchair. Someone found out and blackmailed Sal's friends. They were told that if they didn't do as they asked, they would have to deal with the police on what they had done. So they took Sal's alibi away to cover their tracks. Sal didn't lie to the police and he didn't ask his friends to lie for him. So Pip and Ravi tried to time themselves on whether or not Sal still had time to kill Andy and it didn't seem plausible. Sal seemed to be innocent, but that would mean that Naomi would get in trouble. Then Kara would lose her sister and she had already had the deal with her mother dying years earlier. Kara begged Pip not to go to the police. Ravi wanted to, of course. They came to an agreement that if they didn't find the killer in three weeks, they would take the photo to the police. Then Pip gets a new note, a note that was on her Word document on her computer. You need to stop this Pippa was typed enough times to fill four full pages. Someone had been in her home. I suspected her parents for a hot second, just a hot second each. I suspected Cara too thinking she did that because of Naomi. Pip also received another warning at school. 
After running into Nat De Silva in the hallway, who was at the school trying to get a janitor job to no avail, Piff found in her locker a folded piece of paper telling her that this was her final warning and she needed to walk away. Does that stop Pip? Of course it doesn't. Not sure if it would have stopped me either, but next thing we know, Pip goes to talk to Becca again. She goes to the Fairview Mail. Becca sees her and speaks with her. She is working on a story about this old farmhouse that has been vacant and neighbors are wanting to turn into a cafe combo and Becca doesn't think it's a great idea. She wants it to go to a family. Her dad also almost bought it before Andy disappeared. When this farmhouse was brought up, I thought this is where Andy is. Whether she's alive or not, she is in that farmhouse. Pip tells Becca that Andy has been dealing drugs. Becca doesn't believe her. She asks Becca if she knew Max Hastings. Becca says only as Sal's friend. Pip keeps asking questions about Max and questions about Daniel De Silva. Pip finds out that Daniel was close with Jason Bell and Daniel was one of the first responding officers when Jason reported Andy missing. Pip then goes to a local meeting where she can speak with local police officers. She talks to Daniel for a bit and learns he is the police officer that went to the Hastings house when Max crashed his car into a tree and in front of his house. This was the cover-up to him hitting the guy on the way back from the party. Then, Daniel's wife comes up and has an attitude about Daniel speaking with Pip. Later, Pip sees Daniel speaking with Stanley Forbes. Something is going on with Stanley. I just know it. Then something happens. Something I'm still pissed about. Pip's dog, Barney, gets kidnapped. She is told to destroy her laptop and any USB or hard drives her project was on. My first thought was, this is set in 2019, right? Because it's five years after the disappearance. Dropbox existed. OneDrive, Google Drive, iCloud. Does she not keep stuff there? She ends up doing as she is asked, and yet her dog still died. I was pissed. I've never had a dog outside of playing The Sims, especially since she did what you asked. I was ready for Pip to say, F this. I did what you asked, and you killed my dog anyway. I'm going to find you. But she didn't. I know she's a senior in high school. She's a teenager and she was scared something might happen to someone in her family or Ravi. She ends up telling Ravi she's done. She tells him that she isn't working on the project anymore and she threw out everything. She didn't have the photo anymore either. The one that Sal took of his friends that could help clear his name. Ravi is pissed and storms away. But he comes back the next day. He couldn't understand why all of a sudden for him that Pip would change her mind. He realized that someone threatened her and they took her dog and killed him. That is why she said all of that. She also didn't really get rid of the photo as well as her project. She emails everything to herself after she writes in her capstone project just in case. I figured she would have a backup whether it was in her email or in the cloud. It just made sense that way. Okay. We are getting close to the end of the story and finding out what happened. Remember earlier when I mentioned how I liked it when the author added Pip using an old SIM card to catfish one of Andy's friends? Well, Naomi had broken her phone. She was waiting for it to be fixed and using an old phone of hers. She wasn't using her own SIM card though because it didn't fit. They did find a pay-as-you-go one in the house and that one fits so she's using what is left of that. One day, Naomi calls Pip. 
She knew someone that studied at Columbia, and she thought that they could help Pip with interview stuff. I knew this call was important. Naomi wasn't going to just call her out of the blue. So Pip realizes that the number Naomi called from looked like the number that Andy scribbled out in their planner. She speaks with Kara and finds out the pay-as-you-go SIM card that Naomi was using was their dad's, Mr. Ward, Mr. Elliot Ward, the man who said he didn't know Andy well, the man who said Andy was just upset because he had called her father and told him about her bullying, the man who would have known that Pip was camping with his daughter and their friends. He had a connection to the school where he worked and could have left the note in Pip's locker. And he also called in sick the day Sal was found in the woods. One thing Pip did earlier when she was at the ward residence was turn on settings in the printer to know what was being printed. She did it because she was suspicious of Naomi. Pip heads to Mr. Ward's office to see what has been printed. I think she made the excuse of going to the bathroom. She reprinted something that was done the same day she got the note in her locker. And it said the exact same thing. So Pip and Ravi needed a plan. Mr. Ward was said to be tutoring three nights a week. But what if he wasn't really tutoring? They turned on Find My Friends on Pip's phone. And on a ride home from Mr. Ward and Kara, Pip slipped her phone under his back seat. Pip and Ravi ended up tracking Pip's phone that night. It stopped at a house in a different town on a street where the Wards used to live. A house that he was supposed to have sold years ago. Bold Pip is back. She decides to go to that house and confront Mr. Ward by herself. This isn't the same night that she and Ravi attract him. She wanted to go, but Ravi didn't think it was a good idea. Smart, Ravi. This was a different night. But before she went into a house with a person she thought had murdered two people and her dog, she does at least dial 911. The operator tells her to stay in the car. Pip, of course, doesn't listen. When Mr. Ward comes to the door, he's confused as to how Pip knew he'd be there. Then she told him she knew what he did, and he seemed to be relieved it was finally out. He confesses to being the secret older guy. He had gone to the end with Andy. He was lonely after his wife died. Andy started to pay attention to him. It only happened a few times, he said. Then he broke it off during spring break over a text message. She didn't like that. She threatened to tell when they all got back to school. That is when he found out about her bullying. That was true when he said he called her dad. She could tell and have him arrested, but he would also get her expelled. So on that Friday before she disappeared, Andy ended up showing up at Mr. Ward's home at around 10. She smashed up some paintings that his wife had made him and he pushed her. Andy ended up hitting her head on the desk. She seemed confused but was still conscious. He rushed out to get the first aid kit, but she left the home before he came back. The only thing left was her phone. He found out that Andy had gone missing the next day and he was panicking. He needed to give the police a stronger subject. He had been reading his daughter's diary. That's how he knew about the hit and run. Then on Tuesday, when he was supposed to be at home sick, he went with Sal into the woods and killed him. He used the blood that he missed from cleaning in his office and used a tweezer to put it under Sal's fingernails. But now that we know what happened to Sal, what happened to Andy? She supposedly left Mr. Ward's house still alive. So according to Mr. Ward, he was driving one day in July and he said he saw her. She was walking from a different town and heading back to Fairview. That is when Mr. Ward picked her up 
and brought her back to the house they were currently in. She's been there ever since. He wasn't tutoring. He was looking after Andy. He didn't want her to go back home and everyone find out she was alive. That would mean that they would probably investigate what really happened to Sal. The police end up getting there and Miss Award gets arrested. Pip runs up to the attic. There is a girl sitting on the bed. This girl thinks she is Andy Bell, but she isn't. Mr. Ward had kidnapped the wrong girl. Also, while they were talking, Mr. Ward told Andy that he didn't kill her dog. On her way home, Pip ended up seeing the Bell family. The parents were crying and upset in the front seat, and Becca seemed to be in a daze in the back. So Pip had set out to prove that Sal was innocent, and she did just that. Sal didn't kill Andy, but where was she? This seemed to bother Pip, and she went through all the information that she had. It pointed to one person. She called Max Hastings, needing to verify something. Becca Bell had been roofied at a calamity party, and Max had raped her. This is why she couldn't tell Jess who she had slept with. She didn't know. Pip again goes to someone she thinks might be a killer alone. She shows up to the Bell's house and talks with Becca. Becca offers her tea and Pip for some reason drinks it. Becca confesses to what happened that night. She was upset after realizing what had happened at the calamity party. When her sister returned home, Becca didn't know that she had a head injury. She told Andy what happened to her and Andy looked at her and told her she didn't care. Andy also told her not to tell anyone because it would get her in trouble. That made Becca angry. They started shoving each other and then Andy fell back onto the floor. She was coughing and choking. Becca stood there and watched. After seeing the blood in Andy's hair, she thought she had done that to her. She panicked. She put her body in the trunk of her car and drove her to the farm. The one she was writing about in her article. I knew Andy was there. Anyway... Becca is the one that was seen driving from the bank's security camera at 10.40 p.m. She didn't want the farm to change because she didn't want anyone to find Andy. Becca also was the one texting Pip. Mr. Ward was sending her the notes, but Becca was the one sending her the text messages. She was the one that kidnapped Barney. She claimed not to have meant to kill him, but he still died. So while listening to Becca's confession, Pip realized something was wrong. Becca had roofied her. There were still some roofies left from when Andy was selling them. Pip tried to get away into the woods, but Becca called up to her. Luckily, having Find My Friends turned on worked in her favor again. Her father and Ravi had found them before Becca could have strangled her. And that is what happened to Andy Bell. Mr. Ward had pleaded guilty to first-degree murder of Sal Singh and kidnapping Isla Jordan in the first degree. Isla was the girl he thought was Andy. Becca Bell would be tried for criminally negligent homicide, illegal disposal of a dead body, and tampering with evidence. Max Hastings was charged with four counts of sexual assault and two counts of rape. And Howie Bowers had pleaded guilty to the charge of possession with intent to sell. But I still have questions. What was Howie Bowers blackmailing Stanley Forbes over? Also, what were Stanley and Daniel De Silva talking about at the town meeting? And why did Jason Bell's office alarm go off? I feel like I have more questions than that, but those are the few that come to mind right now. I will say, I didn't spend a lot of time throughout this book really trying to figure out who actually did it. I'm pretty sure I suspected everyone at some point, especially Stanley Forbes, 
but I wanted to just go along with the book and allow for it to just tell me what was going on. My suspicions of Stanley Forbes are still there. I don't like or trust him. This book is the first in a trilogy, so at some point I am definitely going to have to read the others, and I hope I can get my answers. Well, that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of Such a Fun Read. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode on A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. I'd love to know your thoughts. You can find me on our website, suchafunread.com, or on Twitter and Instagram at suchafunread. You can also send me an email to hello at suchafunread.com. Don't forget to rate us everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again, and I will talk to you guys next week.